influence. Influence. I thought about that word. I thought about influential people, influential people in world history. And I looked on Wikipedia, which is honestly not always the best of sites to use. It's a, it's a slightly liberal site. But, but I looked on Wikipedia, and they had a list of, of 100 people, the most influential people, according to this list, this secular list of all time. And I thought, well, who do I think is the most influential person in world history? Maybe I asked you this question this morning. As you're sitting there and we're starting this sermon together, if I said to you, who was the most influential person in all of history? Who are the top five most influential people in world history? I would imagine we would get a lot of different answers. Some of them were influential for good things, positive things. Some of them were influential for very negative, disastrous things, even evil things. This list listed at number one, this secular list, they had Muhammad as the number one most influential person in the world. Now, you know, that saddened me, that disturbed me when I saw that, Muhammad being the founder of Islam, the founder of the Muslim religion. I did remind myself, though, that it is not Christianity that is the fastest growing religion in the world. It has been for 10 years or more, it has been Islam. The Islamic religion is the fastest religion. We have some work to do, don't we? We have the good news of the gospel. But, but this particular list put Muhammad as the most influential, and they put Jesus at number three. But I thought about that for just a moment. I know that Jesus is number one, and one day all the world will know that Jesus is number one. You see, the history that is to come that has already been prophesied in this great book shows me that Jesus Christ one day will come and rule and reign this earth, and he will establish his kingdom of which will have no ending. You see, Jesus Christ is and was and always will be the most influential person in all of history. But when I looked through this list, I saw other people's names. I saw Isaac Newton. Now, you might remember Isaac Newton. He's the one that the apple fell down uh, from the tree, and he discovered the law of gravity. I thought it was unique when I read about Isaac Newton that he did that during a time of a worldwide pandemic. I didn't know that. It goes to show you and I that we can do some great things right here and right now, even though we're still in some sort of a pandemic even now. There were other people on the list. The Apostle Paul was on the list. Gutenberg, who, who discovered the printing press or created, invented the printing press. Can you imagine what influence that had? Because you go from trying to scribe and write everything down to make copies to now you can mass produce things. And over time, that helped spread the word of God uh, because we could mass produce Bibles to go around the world. Christopher Columbus was on that list. And the last person on the top 10, I'll spare you and not give you all 100 this morning because we have cookouts to get to. But the last person on the top 10 was Albert Einstein. And he was the 10th most influential person according to this secular survey. And he's known for his theory of relativity, his equation E equals MC squared. It's in times like that that we're talking about E equals MC squared that I'm glad I remind myself I was a social studies major and I like English and social studies and speaking and music, not science and math. But if you like science and math, that's okay. <laughs> but I said, mm, I'm not really into that kind of thing. But he was top 10 on the list. Well, then I started thinking about, well, who are the most influential people in scriptures? 
And I made my own list, and you would probably maybe have a different list, or you might add someone that I didn't put on there. But I thought, okay, in the Old Testament, probably Adam. Adam was very influential, unfortunately, in a negative way, right? Because he brought about sin. He and Eve uh, failed humankind and brought in sin to the world. And I thought about Noah, because Noah made an ark and saved his family, ultimately saving all of humanity, I thought about Moses, the great lawgiver. Uh, I thought about Abraham, the father of the Jewish people and, and the roots of the Jewish people that lead us all the way then to the birth of Christ and then it's prophetically on into the end. So those people were people I thought about as influential in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I put Paul and Peter, John and Luke, but you might have your own list of people you would say, oh, those folks in the Old Testament, maybe Mary, the mother of Christ. You would say, these people were so influential. But let me ask just one more question before we move on from this influence topic. What about personally? Who would you say in your personal life has been the most influential in your life so far? Look back to the past and think, was it a mother? Was it a father? Was it a grandmother? Was it a, a teacher, a preacher, a, a, a neighbor? Who is it in your life that has been the most influential? And then I would ask us this morning, who right now, presently, is the most influential person in our lives? And is that person or persons giving us good influence or, or bad influence? You see, influence is the capacity to have an effect on character, on development, and on the behavior of someone else. And sometimes the influences in our lives are good, and sometimes the influence in our lives are not so good. There is positive influence, and there is negative influence. We have often used the term peer pressure when we're talking about influence in regards to our teenagers. But can I tell us this morning that peer pressure is not just a concept for teenagers. Peer pressure is a concept for all of us as adults. We have peer pressure. There, there is peer pressure that comes to us through family members, through people we work with, through people that we are around. There is influence that is associated with adults. So it's not just a, a children's type of thing. And we need to be careful who is influencing us and who is speaking into us and who is persuading us in our day-to-day -day life. Well, today from Daniel chapter five, we see the tragic end of a man who had enormous influence. This king had enormous influence. He had the largest known empire in the world at that time, carried great influence. Yet... Yet he found himself surrendering his influence, surrendering his impact by succumbing to the influences of pride and pleasure. Somebody say that word, pride. Pride and pleasure. You see, he, he had a mistake, I call it, the mistake that this man made. Let's look in Daniel 5, 1 and 2 that sets the, the stage, if you will, for, for this story today. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. Now, there were thousands of leaders from all across the empire that he called in, but they brought with them their wives and their girlfriends and everybody else, and they drank wine in the presence of the thousand. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels. Let me just call them cups, so the goblets, cups, to uh, the, the, to him at the party, these vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. 
that the king and the, his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. This was a very proudful act. The man is conducting this huge party. He's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the same Nebuchadnezzar that a few weeks ago, God took his sanity away, remember? And he was grazing in the field with the cattle, but then God gave him his sanity back and he exalted and worshiped the most high God. This is his grandson. You would have thought that his grandson would have learned the lesson of his grandfather, but he did not. Wouldn't you think in the genealogies of our families that sometimes we would learn the lessons that maybe our forefathers have made and not make the same mistakes in our own lives? But many times we repeat the same cycle. And in this case, Belshazzar did not worship the Most High God. I am optimistic that his granddad, Nebuchadnezzar, finally made it right with God towards the end of his life after God drastically got his attention but somehow that didn't translate down to Belshazzar. And he's in this huge meeting banquet hall and they're drinking and they're drinking and they're carousing and they're leaving the room with this woman and they're coming back in with that woman and it's just an ugly, ugly, evil party that's going on. And finally, under the influence of alcohol, Belshazzar says, hey, go down to the storage room and get the cups and get the goblets that we took from the temple of God in Jerusalem and bring them in here and let's put the Budweiser in them and let's just drink and have a good time and let's just show the God of heaven that we're our own gods and we're our own people. Let's just shake our fists in the hand of God. And the Bible said they worshiped gods of gold and silver and wood and all those things, but they did not worship God. And he just flaunted this. You see, I don't think God really cared that much, so much about the cups. God cared about the heart. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? It's not that the cups were something to worship or esteem, but it was the heart. It was the attitude where he said, you go get those cups that they used in holy worship to God. You go get them and we'll show everybody. We'll put our alcohol in them and we'll drink it up and we'll flaunt it. It was his heart, a heart of pride, a heart of rebellion. You see, he found himself under the influence of pride and under the influence of pleasure. Let me give us some scriptures very quickly on pride. Proverbs eleven two says this. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29 and 23 said it this way. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs 18, 12 says, before the destruction, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, prideful, and before honor is humility. Tells us something there, doesn't it? First John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, there it is, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And sometimes we need to take an inventory. Even as Christians, has pride crept into our lives? Has pride crept into our lives in some ways of our attitudes, in some ways of our thinking, in some ways of how we view other people or how we interact with other people? And we need to think about what the Bible says about pride. Not only was he influenced by pride, but he was influenced by pleasure, now, I wanna talk this morning not just about pleasure, but I wanna hone in on one specific thing that we see prevalent in this story, and I wanna talk about alcohol for just a minute. 
Look in your neighbor and say, he's talking about alcohol today. Let me tell you what the Bible says about alcohol this morning. It's not me talking, it's what God's word says this morning. Isaiah 5.22, let me tell you what it says. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Proverbs 20 and 1 says this, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That's Old Testament scriptures. Let me tell you some passages that you can look at and study from the New Testament. You might want to write these down. I'm not going to read all these scriptures for time constraints this morning, but if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you start at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or if you go to Galatians 5.19 and start there, you can read both of those passages. And those passages list lifestyles, sinful, ongoing lifestyles that will not, hear me this morning, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And both of those lists include drunkenness. Is alcohol a good thing? Is drunkenness a good thing? I think the scripture speaks pretty clearly about it this morning. But you say, well, pastor, I want to know what Jesus says about it. What does Jesus say about drinking alcohol? What does Jesus say about drunkenness? Thank you for asking that. Let's look at Luke 21, 34. Here's Jesus speaking, since you asked. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, and here's the next one, drunkenness, and the cares of this life that that day come on you unexpectedly. He is talking about that day that we are gonna be preaching about, that we see all through the book of Daniel, that great day when Jesus comes again and sets up his rightful throne and those of us who know him are gonna rule and reign with him. He's talking about that day and he's saying, listen, you need to stay alert. You need to stay on guard. Don't be carousing. Don't be pulled down by the cares of this life and don't be under the influence of what? Alcohol, drunkenness, when I come again. Be ready for my coming. If you believe it, say amen this morning. That was a good amen, thank you. I'll amen you back for that one, thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you one other scripture, Ephesians 5.18. This is an incredible contrast that I see in Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, which the old King James Version says, which is in excess. Here it is with, it, with is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now look at that, chew on that verse, grab a hold of that verse this morning. That, that's a powerful little concept right there. He, Apostle Paul is telling us, hey, you can drink wine and be influenced by wine and you're gonna act like an idiot and you're gonna act like a fool and you're gonna make big mistakes and it's gonna ultimately destroy you. You can be influenced by wine, but you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Is that all right this morning? I wanna be under his influence. You see, the king made a mistake. He was influenced by pride and he was influenced by pleasure. You and I do not have to make that same mistake. The mistake brought a moment. My next point is the moment. The moment, a moment of reckoning. A moment when his pride was over. A moment when his pleasure was over. I call it this an uh-oh moment. Have you ever said, uh-oh, uh-oh, I know you have. You know, let me give you an example. Maybe when I'm sitting at a restaurant and I move my arm across because I'm telling a story 
and I feel a glass hit my arm right here and Coca-Cola goes this way and my arm goes this way and it's dripping down on the floor and the waitress is scrambling to get towels and I say, "Uh uh-oh, look what Donna did. (laughs) Or whoever's close enough by to blame it on, right? Uh Uh-oh moment. The king had a uh uh-oh moment. He had gone too far and he had reached a point of no return. I'm reminded there's an old song they used to sing or might have been a poem too that they used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and sin will cost you far more than you ever want to pay. Do you hear me this morning? Do you hear this preacher today? I know that there's pleasure in sin for a little while. I know there's appeal to sin for a little while, but biblically speaking, nothing good is ever long-term gonna come from sin. It will cost us far more than we ever want it to pay. So the moment of reckoning comes for Belshazzar. Look at Daniel 5, 5 and 6. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand, get this, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Don't tell me there aren't interesting stories in the Bible. Just a few weeks ago, we were preaching about a king out grazing in the grass with a field, well, of the field with cattle and dew on him. Today, we're preaching about a hand that appears at a drunken party and begins to write on the wall. Don't tell me there's not interesting stories in the Bible. This hand begins to write, look, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Verse 6. The king's countenance changed. I would imagine he became as white as a sheet. His thoughts troubled him. You might say this, folks. He sobered up in a hurry. He didn't need a few cups of coffee to sober up. God sobered him up pretty quickly at that moment. So the hips of his joint were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. One translation said he soiled himself. I bet he did soil himself. It was his moment of judgment, his moment of reckoning. I want to tell us this morning, God would rather send to you and I his great mercy, his great forgiveness, his great long-suffering. He would much rather you and I confess our sin to him right here and right now and allow him to forgive us of our sins. He would much rather you and I, every boy, girl, man and woman, give their heart and life to him and profess him as their savior and come to a baptismal like we did today and and celebrate new life. Wouldn't he rather that happen? And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. It is the great plan of salvation. It is the great mercy of God. He has extended it to all of us. His grace God would much rather us be saved and forgiven. As Christians, he would much rather us confess our sins if we're failing him and let him, through the Holy Spirit and through his word, get us back on the right path, wouldn't he now? And hasn't he done it for each one of us? Hasn't he done it for each one of us? That's what he would rather do. But he is a God of judgment. And for Belshazzar, he had had plenty of opportunities 
There were generational opportunities he saw from the testimony of his grandfather. He had plenty of opportunities to make things right, but he was filled with pride and he was filled with pleasure. And I'm afraid today that there may be people around us who really desperately need to know the Lord, but pride and pleasure are keeping them from making that commitment. Is that all right this morning? But this was his moment of judgment. God said it's enough. For whatever reason, when he started drinking from the vessels of the temple and flaunting his pride and flaunting his partying and worshiping himself, for whatever reason, that was it. I can't tell you how far God's grace and mercy extends. I can't tell you personally how long that he will go before he brings judgment into my life or your life to get our attention. But I tell you, there is a very biblical concept of judgment, isn't it? Very biblical. I've been reading and studying in Revelation quite a bit lately, and there, there are great judgments of all humanity one day where we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives. And I want to tell us this morning that the only way that this old boy, can I just preach about me today? The only way that I'll ever be able to stand justified before him on that day of judgment is through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my only plea. That's my only hope. That's my only source of salvation. I want to stand before him one day and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But he'll say it because I have accepted him as my Lord and my Savior. The other alternative on that day, that great judgment, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I don't want to hear those frightful words. Can you imagine how Belshazzar felt that day when the hand was writing on the wall? But can you imagine how it would feel to stand before an almighty God and be told to part from me? I don't want that to happen to anybody in this church. I don't want that to happen to anybody in my family. I don't want that to happen to anybody in your family. And the good news is it doesn't have to happen. God would rather extend his grace and his mercy. But this was his time of judgment. He had gone too far, it was over. And now it was time to measure the measure. Time to measure, to assess, to weigh on the balances, so to speak. It was the arrival of justice. We hear that term a lot these days, justice. And it's easy for all of us to look around in our personal lives, in our country, in our world, and there's times that we can say, where's the justice? How is it that some who are cheating and lying are getting ahead while others who are living humbly seem to not be? Why is it that some seem to get by with what they're getting by with? Where's the justice in all of that? Can I tell us this morning, there is a God who is the only one who can administer justice. And can I tell you, he has the final say. He has the final say, and when he says it, it's done. When judgment is pronounced, no man's gonna change it. When grace is extended, nobody can change that either. But at the end of the day, our God will put it all in order the way it's supposed to be. Our God is faithful and just. So this man, Belshazzar, was being measured, and justice had arrived to his kingdom, to his evil, awful, wicked kingdom. 
to all those people he had killed, to all those people he had tortured, to all those people he had taken advantage of, to all those people who had no doubt cried, how long, how long, why is he getting by with all of this? Justice had finally arrived. Daniel 5, 26. He calls for Daniel. First, he called for all the false prophets. He's just like his granddaddy. They can't, they can't learn. They call for the false prophets before they finally realize. The queen mother comes down and says, hey, you need to call for Daniel. Daniel is a man with the spirit of God in him. So he calls for Daniel. Daniel's probably in his 80s or maybe early 90s. Daniel's retired, probably living off of Babylonian social security by that point. He wasn't, wasn't in, in the government. They call him in, they bring him in, and Daniel comes in and says, all right, king, God's gonna give me the interpretation of, of this. But first, Daniel, you can read about it. I don't have time to get into all of it this morning from chapter five, but maybe you could read about it. He reminded him of his grandfather. He went through that whole story. He basically said, hey, you haven't learned anything. Well, let me tell you what God has said. Let me give you the interpretation. Verse 26, this is the interpretation of each word. Mean, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. When God's finished, we're finished. To Kel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Can I tell you, right that very moment, as they were partying and flaunting their pride and pleasure, and he thought, everything is mine and nobody can do anything to me. I'm in this fortified city with thick walls surrounding me and nothing can happen to me. At the very moment while he was doing that, while he was partying, the empires of the Medes and the Persians, just as it had been prophesied, we preached about it a few weeks ago, were at the city. They couldn't get through the walls, but they diverted the Euphrates River into a canal and after they diverted the river, they went under the walls of the city. And as he's parting, and as the hand is writing on the wall, his enemies are coming into the city under the walls. His kingdom is numbered. His days are numbered. That very night, that very night, he lost his kingdom and he lost his life. Sobering thought this morning. Sobering, sobering thought. And it's a sobering thought to this world. I'm, I'm gonna close in just a second here. But let me share a story before I close. This is not a political story. I'm not a politician, I'm a preacher, okay? So let me just tell the story. You make your own decisions politically. But think back, what's it been now? Two, three weeks. And our troops were pulled out of Afghanistan. You know what I'm talking about? This, this whole debacle that has just taken place in the last few weeks in our country and in, in that part of the world. Our troops had been there for probably 20 plus years, right? Our troops had kept law and order in that part of the region for all that time. They had pushed back evil, and I'll call it evil. The Taliban is evil. They had pushed back Radical Islam, the Taliban, they had pushed them back and, and they had had little influence, they had little impact and our troops were there as a, get this, a restraining force, right? A restraining force of peace and safety and some stability in that part of the world. Just a few weeks ago, you saw, I saw, we all saw with horror 
what happened on television when our troops were quickly taken out of there, it all turned to chaos. Not in a matter of days, but in a matter of hours. And there's rampant killing and raping and murdering and evil and looting and it is just pandemonium. You say, Pastor, why are you telling this story? We all saw it on the news. We don't really want to think about it. Let me tell us something. Let's think about something for a moment. What do you think that's going to happen in this world when the rapture of the church takes place and God's people by the multitudes in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, scripture, is it not, are taken from this world, it will be hell on earth. You hear this, pastor, this morning? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? That's just a small little example that I'm giving you that I think gives us a little bit of a comparison. Our troops came out of there and pandemonium. Can you imagine what will happen? No, you can't, and I can't either. The worst horror movie that you've ever watched cannot depict what will happen when God's people are raptured out of this world. It's gonna be pandemonium like has never been seen. Chaos like it has never been seen. There's an old song that was about this chapter in Daniel 5. They said, go and tell the world the party's over. Get your house in order for the coming of the sun. The good news is that when this party's over for the world, the celebration of the saints has just begun. I want to tell us this morning, how about we get our house in order? Is that all right this morning? How about we get our house in order? Amen. Amen. Jesus is coming again. And the good news is we can be ready we can have our lamps trimmed and burning. We can be ready for his coming so that we will meet him in the air. What a day, what a time, what a great celebration that will be. And we don't, we are saved as Christians. We are saved from the wrath that is to come. For those that would say to me, pastor, I will wait. I know all about this and I'll wait and I will get saved in the great tribulation period. Let me tell you, I doubt it very seriously. If you can't come to God's house now while we're under grace and mercy and while the Holy Spirit's moving among his people and blesses us Sunday in and Sunday out and we hear the word of God, if you can't do that now, you think you're gonna get saved in the tribulation when the church is gone? And the man of evil, the Antichrist, is ruling and reigning this world? You have deceived yourself. I'm sorry to be so blunt this morning, but it's true, isn't it? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. The Holy Spirit is here moving and stirring hearts and lives and whosoever will, let them come and be saved. My last point is mercy. Mercy. Somebody say that word mercy. You say, Pastor, why are there stories like this in the Bible a hand writing on a wall and a drunken king and an empire that's defeated in a night. Why are there stories like this? It's God's way of warning us, but it's also God's way of inviting us to his mercy. God's way of warning us, but it's also his way of inviting us to his tender mercies. You see, God would rather extend his mercy than administer his judgment. Proverbs 28, 13 
He who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have, here's that word again, mercy. Isaiah 55 and seven, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have, here's the word again, mercy on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. One final scripture, two Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 30 and 9. The last part of that verse says, for the Lord our God is gracious, and here it is again, and merciful, and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. We need his mercy. Amen. Amen. And we can receive his mercy. When? Today. Hey, would you stand with me this morning? It was too late for Belshazzar to change course, but it's not too late for you. If you have a heart that's filled with pride this morning, turn to the Lord in repentance. If you have a heart that's filled with just wanting sinful pleasure, turn to the Lord in repentance. James 4 and 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Would you just bow your head this morning with me as a way of humbling ourselves before the Lord? That's why we bow our heads, is to show respect and honor and humble ourselves before him. And I ask you this morning, if there's anything that you need to make right with the Lord today, today is the day of mercy. Make it right. Get it under the blood of Christ. Begin a new life with him. If you have strayed in your relationship with the Lord, hey, his mercy, his mercy. He had this message preached today because of his mercy. He wants you to find it. Come on back. Come back to a closer walk with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we are thankful that the mercy and the goodness and the faithfulness of our God is extended to us this very hour. We are thankful that the scripture tells us today, now is the time of salvation. So Holy Spirit, would you work among us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you just deal with every mind, every heart, every life today? Those in this building, those watching online, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would just speak to all of us, myself included, God. And God, forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Draw us closer to you. Lord, any part of us that is prideful, Lord, Lord, let us humble ourselves before your mighty hand. Any part of us that are seeking the pleasures of sin, forgive us, oh God, and give us the fruit of the spirit of self-control and draw us closer to you. If there are any this morning who do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that they would make that commitment today and really mean it and really let you change their heart and their life. In Jesus' name, God's people said amen, amen. The prayer team is up here, different ones to pray with you. If you need prayer today or if you wanna come and accept Christ today, this altar is open for you. Let's pray and sing as they sing this morning.